You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Graham, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're recommending autumnal books. What does that mean? We're going to tell you. (laughs) And we're interviewing Reading Glasses' favorite author, Lev A.C. Rosen. But first, what are you reading, Bria? I just last night started a book that just came out, and you did a blurb on it. It is uh, called Such Sharp (gasps) Teeth by Glasser Favorite, Rachel Harrison. Did my blurb Um, make it on the book? Yeah, it's on the—I don't know. It's on the— well, I don't have the book. I have the I bought it on a, as an ebook. But um, I, I I was looking at whatever page it was on, and your it was on the like Amazon page or something. Your blurb is there. Oh, so um, that's the thing is so you they can, don't tell you when you blurb a book, you don't know if it's sometimes they don't it doesn't make it on the cover. But so it always feels so exciting when yeah. uh, when it makes it. But you're reading this. Oh my god, I love this book so much. I saw that there. Your blurb was somewhere. What'd you say? Uh, well, I can read the whole thing, but. Yeah, great. Mallory, read your blurb. Read your blurb. I just started this book, so that might be more helpful than me talking about it. Here we go. So my blurb for Rachel Harrison, friend of the show, is no one is writing horror that explores the intricacies of femininity like Rachel Harrison. This brilliant story is about accepting your identity, your past, love, friendship, and family, all wrapped up in a deeply satisfying and scary monster tale. Such sharp teeth is as irresistible as the pull of the full moon. I couldn't tear myself away. And I meant every fucking word. I love this oh, book. Oh, it's great. So for people who uh, who are wondering what this is about, it is a werewolf book. Ugh. It says a werewolf novel on the cover. And also All you need to know the is- werewolf ship happens so quickly. <laughs> Rachel Harrison wrote a lady werewolf book. I was like, give me this book now. <laughs> so it's about a woman who moves back to her hometown. She's not super happy about it. Her twin sister is pregnant and there, and then on a drive home, like very, like the first or second chapter of the book, maybe it's the first chapter, she hits something with a car, her car, and she goes to see what it is, and she's like, whoa, I like pulled the skin off of this deer while it, when I hit it, and she's like, holy shit, and then she turns around and she realizes she did not pull the skin off the deer, nope. something giant, something else did, and it was giant, and it's standing behind her, and then... She wakes up in a hospital kind of remembering that maybe something horrible happened to her. Um, and uh, I assume werewolfing ensues. Oh, folks. Again, if finding out that Rachel Harrison wrote a lady werewolf book isn't enough to convince you, like, this book is so, it's kind of, it's it's similar to Cackle in the way that it, like, really explores, like, the expectations of being a woman and just, like, really intricacies of, of femininity in this modern world while also having werewolf shit happening it is mm-hmm. so fucking good i love it so much one of my it's gonna be yeah, one of my favorite excited. of the year what are you reading Mally? i am reading another reading glasses favorite spooky author uh i'm reading house of hunger by alexis henderson this this book actually was blurbed oh, by rachel harrison i'm so excited so. about this oh my god you're gonna oh love wow it. wow wow now we've really we've gotten this is we're in the the jenga puzzle of uh <laughs> of authors here um so uh, Alexis Henderson wrote The Year of the Witching, which was a big glasser fave. And this is her brand new one. I pre-ordered it. Yeah, I, I, loved ca- it. I came home from a trip and it was there. I feel like coming home from a trip to finding a bunch of your pre-orders have arrived is like when you go to the bathroom and you come back in a restaurant and all your and your food has arrived. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. I do oh, love that. So great. And so when I describe this things, book, y'all. it's going to kind of sound like one of those 1970s exploitation films 
like lesbian blood maidens <laughs> from hell. <laughs> like it is, it takes place in a world that isn't quite ours. It's a little like sort of a fantasy world. And there's this woman who she lives in like the, uh, in um, the northernmost part of the South. And the South is like, there's two kingdoms, the North and the South. And the South is sort of the industrial, more modern place. And the North is um, where the, all the noble houses live. And that's where the, previous seat of power was and it's a little more old school up there and she lives in a, the very a very very bad part of the city she cleans houses for a living she lives in the slum she barely has any money she's just like very unhappy and she finds in the newspaper one day a ad for a blood maiden because the there's one of the houses up mm -hmm. north the house of hunger because there's all these different you know all, all these different great houses and um in the house of hunger noble the nobles up there drink blood bathe in blood they think it cures all their problems and makes them look younger and they have all these women called they have to be women that called blood maidens who get bled and don't and quote-unquote donate their blood but they get paid really well and they live this opulent life and she is so sick of you know living in dirt and squalor that she goes to respond to the ad and she gets chosen to be a blood maiden and she goes up north and you very quickly find out that, of course, things are not as they seem. She gets involved in a lot of court intrigue and she's trying to figure out where the power lies in this house while also hanging out with her fellow blood maidens. And uh, it, the book is very queer. She she is queer and um, it is, I mean, again, it's like hot lesbian blood maidens from hell like it sounds like a 1970s horror movie <laughs> but it is it's so much fun it's beautifully written like it was one of those books where i started it last night and before i knew it i already was like almost 100 pages in like it really goes by fast oh, wow. it's a great october read i am absolutely loving it um so that is house of hunger by alexis henderson and mine is such sharp teeth by rachel harrison So I want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Suzanne wrote in to say, I'm still listening to the book bag episode, but I couldn't wait till the end of the episode to write. <laughs> I love that people do this. It makes me so happy. We get constant feedback from people that are like, oh my God, I'm mid episode, but I had to write to you too. I, I had to it. let you know. Well, yes. Yeah. We appreciate it. My husband calls it the great back book bag controversy. My children insist that they carry backpacks. I insist that a backpack is something you carry when you go hiking and a book bag is something you carry to school or the library. <laughs> I get yelled at at least once a week for calling them book bags but i'm insistent on my definitions we have several controversies over language because my shallow southern accent and word choice confounds my california children i love you guys thank you so much for your work mm. Bria. you're not the only person who's uh having trouble with the book uh, bag backpack the book bag versus the backpack maybe this is a south a regional i i think it must be a regional thing of uh calling a backpack a book bag because I call every no. I think I call everything a book bag. That's what's confusing. <laughs> I mean, everything's so a book bag like if you opposite. put your mind to it. <laughs> if you if you really work on it, everything is a book bag. Um, but yes, that is very that is very interesting. Louise wrote in and said, "Dear Brian Mallory, I can totally relate to the listener who wrote in about being distracted from their current book by other books. Instagram and TikTok doesn't help at all, especially when you look at all the nice covers. I started calling this phenomenon FOMOOB. <laughs> Rhymes with no boob. <laughs> Fear of miss missing out on books. We just did an episode about FOMO, but we probably should have called it FOMO because that is pretty amazing. FOMO is definitely what I'm going to be calling what it from now on. FOMO is one of, mostly because she wrote it rhymes with no boob. Um, 
Uh, Faux Move is one of the reasons why my to-read list is never ending. I love the podcast and look forward to new episodes each week. Love it. And then Anne wrote in with a wheelhouse that says innovative retellings of fairy tales, definitely a glasser, sapphic angst, witches, madcap satire, nonfiction that breaks down big social constructs and traces the history of why we're like this, non-humans trying to understand humanity, characters, and plots surrounding food and cooking. Yes, it's specific. <laughs> so real. Uh, Anne says, I want to specifically thank you for introducing me to Becky Chambers, which may or may not have saved my sanity last year when I was incapacitated with a condition that left me unable to comfortably stand or read for over a month. The Becky chambers audiobooks were an absolute godsend thanks for making a rad show y'all you take the shame out of books and reading and have helped me read a lot more than i would otherwise and you are welcome thank you for listening to the show uh so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com if you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month you can sign up for our newsletter there's a link in the show notes and last call this is the last show that is coming out before our readathon this weekend um, if you're listening to this when the show drops, this our Halloween readathon is happening on Sunday, October 23rd. It's starting at 9 a.m. Pacific time with a Instagram kickoff on the Reading Glasses podcast Instagram. And then if you want to, you don't have to, but Bria and Mini Glassers will be reading Fly Away by Kathleen Jennings. It is a tour.com novella that is spooky and fun. Uh, before everything kicks off, I will be giving you all the content warnings for it, uh, but it should only take you a couple hours between like one to four hours to read. And then you can read whatever you want. Read something autumnal, maybe from this episode. You can read something spooky or scary. And then at six o'clock p.m., we are going, Pacific time, of course, we are going to be uh, ending our readathon and talking about the book we chose, uh, Fly Away, and talking about what books we read and uh, maybe eating some Halloween candy. It's going to be a lot of fun. Join us again. That's October 23rd, Sunday. Get out your candy corn, get out your hot cider, get out your. Halloween costume if you want to wear it for a whole day. I don't know. Whatever you want to do. Wow. Uh, and then also a bookmark from me. I just want to remind everyone that my first kids book is coming out in the spring. And you can pre-order it right now. It is Girls Make Movies. That is uh, written by me and illustrated by my friend Jen Vaughn. Uh, it is the perfect book. It's a nonfiction book about making movies. The perfect book to give to any girls in your life who want to learn how to make movies, who love movies. Maybe they are really into social media, making videos on TikTok, and they uh, are interested in figuring out how you get into film, how you make it a career, how you make a movie, women's film history. Uh, I got it all covered in that book uh, with amazing illustrations by my friend Jen. Uh, again, you can pre-order it right now. There'll be a link in the show notes for that. Thank you, thank you. And before we recommend some autumnal books, we're going to take a quick break. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when faced with a challenge in life. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. But how do you find a good therapist? BetterHelp is here to help. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. You can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. Folks, you know Bria and I love therapy. Therapy is one of the most important tools in my mental toolbox to make sure that I don't walk into the sea after being stressed out over work, personal stuff, whatever it is. I have been in therapy for a really, really long time. I truly can't imagine my life without it. Uh, it is one of the best things I ever did for myself. I always consider it going to the gym, but for your brain. Uh, it helps me with anxiety. It helps me 
get through and manage any stress I've got going on. It really is now an essential part of my life and you can try it right now. It will be easy. You don't have to go anywhere. You can do it online. You could do it on the phone. You can do it over FaceTime. BetterHelp is really convenient. It's really made to fit into your life and to your budget. BetterHelp is really the way to go. If you are looking to try therapy, maybe you've never been to therapy before and you're very curious, but you don't know where to start. Maybe you went to therapy a while ago and you fell off of it or you moved and you know you haven't found a new therapist yet. BetterHelp has got you covered. So when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. You can visit betterhelp.com slash glasses today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp with a P, betterhelp.com slash glasses to get 10% off your first month of therapy. So that's betterhelp.com slash glasses today. Glasses. Her Majesty served Great Britain and the Commonwealth loyally for over 70 years. And while, of course, we feel a profound sadness, we must remember she lived a long life and died in such a way that I think many of us would want for ourselves. She was at home, surrounded by her family. And, of course, she was listening to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is a multi-award-winning comedy podcast and you can find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, it's the best time of the year. Leaves are falling, sweaters are out, everyone is eating soup. It is autumn, and we are going to recommend our favorite autumnal reads. So to be clear, these are not horror books. They are not Halloween-y books. They're books that evoke the atmosphere of fall. Bria, what do you like to read in the fall? What is a good autumnal book for you? Leaves are out, sweaters are falling, soup is being eaten. <laughs> I, for some reason, I was trying to mix those up. People are eating sweaters. <laughs> Soup is being worn. Soup is falling from the sky. <laughs> oh, no. I Okay, so I, I thought about this a lot. This was actually, like, harder for me than I thought because I was like, I just don't read that many books that take place in the fall or are that cozy. So I know I literally just talked about this last episode, but I'm going to start with a very cozy book because it's very tea-centric, which feels important to me, and that is... That's very autumnal. The just-mentioned Becky Chambers' book, Psalm for the Wild Built. Um, uh... And there's a tea monk at the center. A tea monk. What is more uh, autumnal than a monk whose entire job it is to serve is to serve people tea out of a moving caravan, um, and then eventually decides, you know, I'm gonna actually go see the world um, and uh, meets a robot, and then they talk about humanity. It is a very calming read, though. A lot of philosophical stuff about what it means to be a human. Uh, also, there's a tea monk at the center, so you can imagine this person is calm as shit. And I look. <laughs> I love tea. I do love, I love a nice tea. And when I think of fall, I think, wouldn't it be nice to be sitting somewhere nice and, and chilly, having a nice cup of tea? It's not that chilly here yet, but you know, maybe it will be in the next couple of months. We'll see if uh, global warming allows that to happen <laughs> here where I live. Uh, what is your first book, uh, first uh, autumnal book? So my first pick for this is the new Catherine Valente middle grade book. Um, mm. 
fair. Oh my God. Well, it's always like a celebration to get a new cat Catherine Volente book. This one in particular was very much in my wheelhouse. Um, it's Osmo unknown in the eight penny woods, which I bought a hundred percent because of the title. I like, didn't know anything. I was like Osmo unknown yeah. in the eight penny woods. I don't need to know anything else. Uh, this book is so much fun. It is so fucking cute. It is about a young boy who lives in this secluded village. And of course he's yearning for a big adventure. And then one day his mom comes out of the woods and, and it's during like one of their like big celebrations. Uh, and she comes out while the celebration is happening and tells the whole village that she's accidentally hunted a creature that has not been seen in the area for hundreds of years. And a lot of people thought those creatures were a myth. They didn't exist anymore. Turns out they did. And she accidentally killed one. And to boot, the town has an ancient pact with those creatures. So now that his mom has killed one of them, this boy has to go on a journey through the woods to make amends for her murdering one of them. Um, and he, it's a very Alice in Wonderland kind of story. Cause he goes, goes on this adventure through the woods and he meets all these different people and each chapter is a little adventure. Um, but the descriptions of the woods in the little village are so lovely and autumnal. And there's a lot of like lovely food and leaves falling. And it's just like, it's mm. so, it's so fun and so cute. You know, I love like an Alice in Wonderland esque book. Um, I think this would just be a wonderful book for fall. Um, what is your next pick? Well, here's one that you could use for the reading glasses, glasses, glasses challenge uh, of 2022, which is read a book and then watch the movie because the movie is about to come out. It's the oh, story hey. life of AJ Frickery by by uh, Gabrielle Zevin, who we just were talking about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which is um, uh, her latest book. Um, but this book I really liked is a, it is just a real sweet little book about a man who owns a bookstore and he's not doing so well in his life. And then a strange package arrives and it changes his whole life. And it's got books, it's got small towns, and it's got life changes. And it takes place over a long, over a long period of time. So it's not specifically like all autumnal, but it is autumnal in spirit. It definitely is. It is new is. beginnings. And it's it's like the it's uh, New England, right? It's it's a New England dish. Yeah, it's, book. I think it takes I think place it's on like on a little island, either Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. I think. Yeah, it's like one of those. I looked it up at some point for a past episode. Um, but but it it feels very um uh it's because it's from that area. Like it is very fall inspired, if you ask me. There's not a lot of like and the heat. Uh, you yeah. know, it feel it feels to me like it's like there's an ocean and it is uh there's water. And there's a man trying to figure out how to uh, change his life. I, I mean, I think that's a that sounds very autumnal to me. What What do you have next? Gotta say, my next one is surprise sleeper glasser hit, Garlic and the Vampire by Brie Paulson. Oh yeah. Oh my Great god, one. I love this book, and I find I just read the sequel, which came out, Garlic and the Witch, which is just as wonderful. This book is like autumn distilled. It might be the most autumn mm. book of all time. It is a Middle grade graphic novel it's about, about vegetables. I mean, oh they what's more autumn than vegetables? Oh my god, it is. Ugh. I saw this book and like melted and died. It is so. It's, a, it's about this little bulb of garlic who lives in her, with her vegetable friends in a village, and a vampire moves into the abandoned castle up the mountain, and they nominate her garlic, the little bulb of, bulb of garlic, to go and investigate. And every single fucking page is so beautiful and warm and autumnal that you will mm. want to jump into the book. Bonus for queer characters also. Uh, it's just so the little the little vegetable village and the little market and her walking through the woods up to the castle to meet the van. Like it is so autumnal and it is so cute. You will read it really quickly. And again, the sequel is just as good. Oh my God. 
I love this book so much. It's, I think it might be one of those books that I like read reread every autumn. Oh, that's nice. It's that's lovely. Nice. And look, they're root vegetables, so that makes me definitely think of autumn time. I like that. For sure. Uh, what's your next pick? Oh, I should have picked this one. Okay, well, okay. Well, Mallory, I was like, okay, you know, the thing I think about with autumn is going back to school. Yeah. And I kept trying to th- think, I was like, which boarding school book should I put? And I kept thinking of a not-so-cozy but very back-to-school in a gothic, strange place that for some reason really struck me as more cold and autumnal is Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to say this is a horror book because I know we're not trying to do too many horrors. Um, I would, yeah, this isn't quite horror. It got lumped with horror, but the more I've l- reflected on it, I feel like it is surreal fiction set in an elite school. And when you go to the elite school, you can't have contact with the outside world. And if people are going in expecting like, you know, uh, Bumps in the Night, that is not this book. It is yeah. a, like, very calm book of weird shit happening. And it's not cozy. This is not a cozy no. place, this this school. But I do think it fits a fall theme if you're looking for, like, you know, fall being a back-to-school, a time of change kind of thing. The leaves are changing, and so are these people's lives going to this weird school that they don't quite know what's happening there. So good. What do you got next? My third one is one of my favorite books of the year. Um, it is The Wild Hunt by Emma Seckel. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I just got this from the library. I'm so excited for you to read this. I love this fucking book so much. Uh, so it all takes place in October, right after World War II on a small Scottish island. And so every year on October 1st, a massive swarm of crows arrives in the village. And every year on October 31st at midnight, they leave. So the main character is this young woman and she gets wrapped up in the mystery of why the crows are are there in the first place. But also like why they're becoming more aggressive and numerous every year. You know, there's a disappearance of a a young boy um, and that's involved with the crows. And she's trying to untangle all this stuff. And it is so fucking autumnal. Everyone is wearing a wool sweater. Everyone is drinking hot cider. Mm. They're having a bonfire, (laughs) you know, and there's myths involved and legends and walks through the like heather and um, mysteries. It's just like it's the perfect fall book. And it's like I keep seeing it described as horror and like, it's not really quite horror. It's just more, it's kind of like Catherine House in the way that it's a little bit dark, but I wouldn't call this a horror mm. book. Um, it is, it's just so great. And it's truly like just absolutely so autumnal. Uh, what is your next one? Okay. This, this is a bit, bit more of a winter book, but it's The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden, a book I really like recommending because it's got magic. It's got evil. It's got a forest. And it's all uh, this force around this little girl's house. Little, she's not that little, young girl. And I distinctly remember a fireplace being involved. And there's mm-hmm. another book I almost recommended because I feel like there was a fireplace involved in, Mallory, what is that book we read? Where it takes place in Ireland or Scotland and there's like, it's like a child. Oh, wow, I'm really describing a book poorly right now. But there's also like a lot of sweeping of a fireplace. Anyway, these books both made me think fireplace. Wait, did The Good People by Hannah Kent? That's right, The Good People. I distinctly remember there being a fireplace sweeping moment. Anyway, I was thinking this book, the fireplace was important. It is much more wintry, but maybe you're living in a place that's more winter autumnal. Look, this shit is magic, okay? So, like, it, it is it is not necessarily, like, straight up, like, uh, a sweater weather. It's more, like, uh, different times um, and very, um, very much colder. But it does make me think of seasons changing. Uh, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick is a witchy YA book called Deep in Providence, Uh, which I immediately picked up because it takes place in Providence. Uh, So it's a book about, it's a group of young girls. And like, this is not a spoiler. This happens like the first chapter is them 
dealing with this. It's one of them, one of the, this like a friend group of girls and one of them dies. And like the first chapter is like them at her funeral. So it's not a spoiler. Uh, and the remaining girls are so crushed about the death of their friend that they want to use some magic to bring her back. And we all know how well that goes. Um, in every book and book and movie, uh, it takes place in Providence, uh, which is my favorite place in the world. And everyone knows that New England is the world capital of autumn. Uh, it is queer and it is witchy and beautiful. And I just think it would make a great autumnal read. It just has ticks so many of those boxes. Um, again, it's kind of the beginning is sad. So read the content warnings. But um, it's it is lovely. Um, Bria, what is your next pick? Well, I know we're all thinking about leaves and stuff, but I started thinking about other fall holidays that we are not necessarily talking about as much. And I was thinking about Dia de los Muertos, which mm, I know you smart. may have something for that I as almost well. Picked this but book. I was thinking, oh, you did? Okay, so I was thinking about Aiden Thomas's Cemetery Boys. So good. Um, and I believe it takes place on that day, right? It takes place on Dia de los los muertos i think that's how i think that's how it starts because that's i think that's what kicks off the events of the it either starts or ends on that day yeah yeah and it's about a young uh teenage trans boy who decides to raise a ghost from the dead and this ghost has some unfinished business and it Mm -hmm. is not what he expected um and uh it's just a really great ya queer ya book um and it is chilly and fall like but it also has like a holiday that there's a lot of Halloween books out there, and this one I think is uh, it's fun to look at a different type of uh, of spooky holiday taking place in the fall time. All right, what's your last one? So my last book is a book I got tricked into reading, and I'm happy that I did. <laughs> it is Quiet Neighbors by <laughs> Catriona McPherson. Um, so when you look at this book cover, you think it is a horror novel, and that is why I picked it up. It is... Mm-hmm. It, the cover is like a spooky house with in front of a cemetery. And I was like, oh, duh, house book, grab. Uh, it is absolutely fucking not a horror book. <laughs> it is a mystery. Uh, and when the book starts, so you meet the woman who's the main character and you know that she's on the run from something. And she ends up in the Scottish village because apparently the Scotland is the hottest place mm-hmm. in the literary world. Um, and she wants to start her life over. <laughs> she gets a job at the local bookshop and she moves into a little cottage by the cemetery maybe this is just my dream life. Uh, she starts uncovering the secrets of the bookshop <laughs> and, of course, like the secrets of the small town and the people there. And while it's a little no. dark... It sounds it, like such a glasser book. It's such a glasser book. It's not scary and it is wicked fun. And it's almost... It's a little it's a little dark to be called a cozy, I think, but it's still... It's just so great. And who doesn't want to, like, start their life over in a small Scottish bookshop living in a little cottage? It's just great. I really... I'm, I'm fucking interested. Who, when did this come out? It came out... Uh, within the last 10 years, I think. It's not a hot new book, but it mm. is uh, recent-ish, I think. I'm interested in the book and in the lifestyle. I'm interested in both. <laughs> Hard to say. Um, a bu- working in a Scottish village in a little bookshop. Oh, very interested. So good. There's a little romance involved as well. So good. Um, so you can st- send your favorite autumnal reads to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Uh, before we talk to author Lev A.C. Rosen about his fantastic autumnal read, Lavender House, and I do want to say you will hear me gush about it in the following interview, but if you love camp, you will also love this, but for very different reasons. Lavender House is an adult book. It is not YA, but it is so fucking autumnal. It is so good. It is basically queer historical knives out. Ugh, it is lovely. Um, mm. But before you hear that interview, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is sponsored in part today by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies, which deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC to help you feel just the right amount of good. 
So you've probably heard about microdosing. Maybe you've seen someone talking about it on social media. Maybe you've read an article about it. If not, all you need to know is that all sorts of people, writers, power lifters, yes, I'm talking about myself, are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. Maybe you want to sleep better. Maybe you're like me and you work out and you want to help relax your muscles and come down after working out. Maybe you are looking for a little creative boost in your life. Microdose gummies can help you with all of those things. It's available nationwide. If you want to learn more about microdosing THC, you can go to microdose.com and use code GLASSES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. They have all different flavors. They have all different types. But the thing all of them have in common over at Microdose Gummies is that they're perfect entry-level doses of THC. Folks, this is not the kind of gummy that you eat to stare into space for eight hours and eat a bunch of Cheetos, although... You can do that if you want. That does sound pretty good. (laughs) But they are designed to be entry-level doses so you can be creative, you can get to sleep, you can come down from your workout, you can manage some stress. They really are created to fit into your lifestyle and give you whatever boost that you need. So again, go to microdose.com and use code GLASSES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. So that's microdose.com, code GLASSES. microdose.com, code GLASSES. GLASSES. You're in a theater. The lights go down. You're about to get swept up by the characters and all their little details and interpersonal dramas. You look at them and think, that person is so obviously in love with their best friend. Wait, am I in love with my best friend? That character's mom is so overbearing. Why doesn't she just stand up to her? Oh, God, do I need to stand up to my own mother? If you've ever recognized yourself in a movie, then join me, Jordan Cruciola, for the podcast Feeling Seen. We've talked to author Susan Orlean on realizing her own marriage was falling apart after watching Adaptation, an adaptation of her own work, and comedian Hari Kondabolu on why Harold and Kumar was a depressingly important movie for Southeast Asians. So join me every Thursday for the Feeling Seen podcast here on Maximum Fun. So here we are with Reading Glass's favorite author, Lev Rosen. <laughs> Lev, thank you so much for joining us. What are you reading? Thank you, and thank you so much for that uh, title, which I will uh, treasure forever. Um, <laughs> I am currently reading research books, which is not that exciting, but uh, I'm reading a book called, hilariously, The Lavender Scare, Cold War Persecution of Gays and Lesbians in the Federal Government by uh, David K. Johnson. And it's mostly, it's it's more DC area than I was expecting, but it is about that sort of post-war period that my book takes place in, but it's about specifically the government and how they went after queer people. Heavy reading. It is, it is uh, not the happiest reading, I will say that. If you want a fiction recommendation, I am also loving, just a second, turning away from the thing to grab the book, um, uh, the 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 David Branstetter novels by Joseph Hansen, which were these books originally that came out, uh, I think the first one in 69, um, and they star a gay detective in the 60s and 70s, um, an insurance investigator named David Branstetter in California, and they are beautiful noir, just gorgeous books, and they've just been reissued. Um, there's like a dozen of them at least, I think, 
um, and I'm working my way through them. And there are sentences that linger that just because they're such beautiful writing. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Oh yeah, highly recommended. But speaking of amazing books, can you tell us about your new book, Lavender House? <laughs> well, thank you for that segue. Oh, um, it's so good. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, Lavender House is a historical mystery. It takes place in 1952, and it begins when um, Andy Mills, a former police detective or inspector, as they're called in San Francisco, for San Francisco police, uh, is sitting in a bar contemplating suicide because he was just fired after being caught in a raid on a gay bar. Um, and a woman sits down next to him and says, I know who you are. I know why you were fired, and I want you to solve the murder of my wife. With nothing left to lose, Andy decides to go with her, and she takes him to the titular Lavender House, um, the family estate just outside San Francisco of the family Lamontagne, uh, ruled over by the matriarch Irene Lamontagne, who also rules over Lamontagne Soaps, uh, which is a large uh, West Coast soap company uh, famous for their floral scents and um, their squeaky clean image. And Irene had previously been married to a man and had a child, but uh, after her husband died, she and Pearl met and fell in love. And their son, Henry, is also queer. But to preserve this image for a soap company in the 50s, they know they need to preserve a family uh, image and so uh, they found Henry a wife, Margot. And so this family was Irene and Pearl and their son, Henry, and uh, Henry's wife, Margot, and Henry's boyfriend, Cliff, and Margot's uh, girlfriend who comes and goes, Elsie, and also Margot's mother who has come to stay with them after falling on hard times, as well as an entirely queer staff. Um, but now Irene is dead, and Pearl thinks it was not an accident, although the others do. And so she's bringing Andy in to determine if it was an accident, and if it wasn't, to determine who killed her. Uh, it's sort of this gilded cage, Lavender House, where anyone inside can be who they are. But once they leave, they have to pretend to be straight. They have to put on these disguises. And... Um, so inside it's freedom, outside it's not. And that feels a little trapped, even if it is also very freeing. And um, now they're concerned that maybe they're trapped in there with a killer. And as Andy gets into the life of these characters and meets them and, and uncovers the sort of lifestyle, he's sort of brought in by this allure of potential freedom that he himself hasn't really experienced. Oh, it is folks. It is as compelling as all of that. It is. I, I absolutely inhaled it. It's so good. And one of my favorite things in the book, everyone who listens to this, this podcast knows that I love a weird house, the locations, there's the, this club and there's the house. There's just so many incredible places in this book. I'm very curious to know were any of them based on real life places. I'm sure you had to do a bunch of research for this book. What did like did you pull from real life for this? Um, so I did do a bunch of research. The big research book I used is Wide Open Town by Nan Alamilla Boyd, which is the history of queer San Francisco up to 1965. Um, great, great research book. 
and it does detail a lot of queer bars. But the Ruby, which is the queer bar that appears in this one, is sort of a combination of a bunch of them. In the sequel, which will be coming out next <gasps> year, I do get more into these other bars, which are more drawn specifically from um, from uh, uh, San Francisco queer bars of the 50s. Um, but the only place that's like an actual historical location is the Black Cat, um, which is the bar Andy is caught in a raid on. And they are fascinating in that they... Uh, in 19, they, they were a gay bar that was raided constantly and shut down by the police until the owner, who was a straight man, sued and said, you know, you can't shut us down simply for being a gay bar. Um, because at the time, the law was that any place where queer people congregated was a house of ill repute and therefore could not serve liquor. Uh, essentially, if a bunch of gay people were hanging out, it was the same thing as a brothel. And uh, he sued and he won. And so 1952, and the reason I chose it, is such an interesting time period because this is the first time anywhere in America where gay bars are legal. And that doesn't mean that being gay was legal, which is why it gets so complicated. So uh, they could go and they could drink, but they could not dance together. They could not touch. They could not kiss. Um, anything like that in uh, would result in the bar being shut down, people being arrested. Not necessarily the liquor license getting taken away, although cops would certainly plant drugs, etc., to try to get that to happen. Um, but it was a complicated sort of relationship where the cops were constantly raiding these bars but unable to shut them down. Um, and so it's a really fascinating time in queer history. Yeah, it's something that you go into a lot in the book, which I love because the main character is, you know, of course, is an ex-cop. And it's such I love the the way that you explore that. And I'm sure especially nowadays where, you know, anything police related is um, sort of uh, volatile. Uh, I, th I thought you handled it so well. I was uh, was it a, this is not a question that's in the outline, but I'm curious because I love this book. Was it like a big uh, obviously it was important for him to be a cop. But what, what was that something that you were thinking about when you were writing is the way that cops are looked at right now? I mean, what I was thinking about, certainly it's impossible not to sort of take that into account, but I was thinking about the fact, you know, very early on in the first chapter when Pearl sits down next to him, um, one of the things she says is like, how did you go so long not getting caught? And he said, I had a system. And his system was about asking where the raids were and going elsewhere and making sure he was never where a raid was. And, and she goes, well, did you ever warn anyone else? And he just lets that hang there because the answer is no. He he wasn't looking out for anyone else. And over the course of the book, you know, he thinks about how he, he became a cop because he wanted to help people. But maybe he wasn't really helping the people who needed it the most. And, and he sort of evolves into realizing, you know, taking responsibility for his own actions, taking responsibility for his time, as a cop and, and how that did wrong the community in many ways and uh, trying to figure out how he can write that and how he can actually become someone who helps the people who need him. Um, and obviously, yes, there are so many comparisons to be drawn to cops today, but I, I feel like cops today, although certainly they do fail the queer community, uh, you know, not 
on a not irregularly <laughs> um the uh, you know i feel like so much of what's happening with cops today has more to do with racial issues which is not a place i would feel comfortable sort of uh, uh, uh you know putting my own voice in so i was i was firmly focused on cops of the 50s queer community and how that would feel but obviously yeah there there are echoes for today I think you wrote it absolutely incredibly. And that perfectly brings us to our next question because there's so many elements in this book. You know, there's a ton of history, there's mystery, there's a little romance. Like, how did you keep everything so balanced? (laughs) Well, thank you for saying I did. (laughs) Um, I'm not convinced I did, but uh, yeah, I think it, you know, the story to me, I focused on the characters and who these people were and how they were influenced by where and when they were. Um, and that was really how I how I wrote forward, making sure each of these characters was behaving in a way that felt correct. Um, and from there, the other things sort of evolve. Uh, so obviously mystery, I start out with a potential murder, so obviously we're going to put you know, solving crime, et cetera, that all flowed very naturally. The romance stuff, you know, I wouldn't, it's, it's interesting that you think there's like a romantic component. I think there's romantic components. Just a, just a sniff, just a little bit. <laughs> there is a sniff. There is a, a singular kiss between the protagonist and uh, someone else, but there are also romantic moments for the side characters. Mm-hmm. And that was more, that was more fun for me to write, I think. Um, but yeah, I definitely wanted a moment where Andy felt like he was actually sort of willing to live again. And yes. that moment, to me, it, 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 it is romantic. It's about loving yourself and having another man there to kiss in that moment felt very important to me because it would represent exactly how far he'd come and it would represent exactly how his mentality had changed. And so that is where the romance came from. It came from knowing the best way to express his evolution would be with this moment. (laughs) I'm trying so hard not to do spoilers. Yeah, you're doing a great job. And the moment in the book is absolutely perfect. I think you nailed it. And so you made a a playlist for Lavender House and I would, our listeners love like book extras and stuff like that. So I'd love for you to talk about that. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I, if you're going to write period, especially like if you're going to write period, you have to use music. At least I do. And it's so important to me to be like listening to the period music of the times to sort of get in the headspace. And also because it, it dates everything to me. And I'm not even like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a musical historian in any way, shape or form. Um, I am not a music nerd. I can't talk very intelligently about music the way a lot of people I know can. But I do know, you know, what music of a time sounds like. And I know what that feeling evokes in me. And so I knew right away I had to start researching what songs were like the top hits of, uh, you know, of, uh, April and May 1952 on the radio and use those to make a list. And from there, I sort of had favorites and 
uh, decided what to put in and um, yeah, it, it all just sort of evolved, but I love so many of the songs that ended up in it. And what was fun is also, you know, talking to my, my more musically minded friends and being like, any suggestions for this? I'm looking for this mo, this mood, this place. Um, and they would all come back with such exciting suggestions and yeah. And now I have a great playlist and the one, the playlist that I put up is just, the mentioned songs and a few cut ones that uh, didn't make it into the final version. Um, but there is a, you know, I have a longer for myself playlist that's just music from the time period uh, that I listened to while writing. Well, we will put a link in the show notes to the official playlist so people can check it out when they read it. Um, and so this episode is all about autumnal reads, not scary reads, not spooky reads, Books that evoke the feeling of autumn. Do you have any, in this this book particular, Lavender House, feels very autumnal to me. Do you have any favorite autumn books or maybe like rituals or traditions that you do during autumn? Uh, well, I mean, I have Halloween traditions. Uh, certainly, I have, um, uh, uh, my husband and I, you know, we like to uh, watch Nightmare Before Christmas, both for Halloween and Christmas. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, I, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, I don't know. We, we have all the high holy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apples and honey. <laughs> there you go. That's very autumnal. Um, as for autumnal reads, I don't know. I would go to Halloween again. I know I'm, I'm so, uh, I'm so typical. And my, my big Halloween recommendation is always his hideous heart, which <gasps> I've is, never read that. Oh my God. It's a short story anthology. Um, it was edited by Dahlia Adler and it is, uh, reimaginings of Edgar Allan Poe's, uh, stories. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Um, and it's YA, um, uh, or, or uh, yeah, yeah, it's YA. Um, and it's, it's just so fun and spooky. And I highly recommend that for a spooky read, if not a autumnal cozy sweater read. <laughs> I mean, we'll always take spooky reads and that brings me to our last question. So, and I'll, I'll do a spooky version of, of what is your reader wheelhouse? What, trope or subject or anything even a cover what will get you to pick up a spooky book Ooh, what will get me to pick up a spooky are you a book? werewolf person maybe you're into ghosts what what will what will get you really interested i mean i am let's be honest i'm a classes sort of vampire guy like i can't escape it i wasn't into the i know you know i wasn't into twilight or anything like that but I am uh, an interview with the vampire. I'm probably dating myself there. Have you seen um, the new show? I, so we've seen the pilot and I was totally oh. prepared to be like, no, this is not my Lestat, but it's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, now it has two great adaptations. How is that fair? Oh, incredible. But yeah, no, we have the second one on the DVR. We haven't had time to watch it yet. I'm, I'm really with you. I've only yet. seen the pilot, but I was very, very oh, much yeah. in. Yeah, um, I was so in and like ready not to be. <laughs> <laughs> Hard same. 
Uh, well, fantastic. We, I did not know that you were a vampire person. That is great to know. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I, you want photos of me in my uh, in college in the full goth makeup? Yes. I got it. <laughs> Hopefully, maybe we'll see a Love Rosen vampire book somewhere in the future. <laughs> uh, maybe excited. one day. I'm not sure how I'd approach it. If you want a good vampire book, a uh, good YA one is Calabarig's The Fell of Dark, which is fantastic. YA gay vampires. Um, yeah. And I'm excited to see, I feel like we're entering a new vampire period in literature. So I'm excited to see, uh, what comes out. We're finally going to get like the diverse vampires we deserve. Hell yes. Very, very, very exciting. This is a great recommendation. And so finally, Lev, where can listeners find you online and where can they buy Lavender House? Uh, they can buy Lavender House wherever books are sold. I recommend their local indie and uh, you can find me online at levacrosen.com or on social media, Instagram and Twitter as levacrosen um, and TikTok, although I don't use it that much. Although I did put up an amazing vintage soap ad, which is a book trailer for Lavender House that I would strongly recommend everyone check out. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, um, I, I we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Spooky. I think I think you will like it a lot. Um, and I'm on Facebook as well, but just as Lev Rosen. Um, and I'm, I'm not on there as much. If you really want to find me, Instagram and Twitter are the place to be. Fantastic. Love, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Love coming back. Now let's solve a bookish problem from one of our listeners. V writes in, Hello, Bria and Mallory. Thank you again for this wonderful podcast. It has made the pandemic a lot more bearable, and it has made Thursday my new favorite day of the week. I have a question for you about ebooks and audiobooks. What do you do when you're reading an ebook or audiobook that you have purchased and decide to give up on it? Most of the ebooks and audiobooks I read are from the library, so I just return it if it isn't working for me. I still want to support the author and will not try to return it to the seller, but what do I do with it now? Should I keep it in my library and mark it as read or leave it at its current place and try to pick it up again later? Bria, this is definitely a question made for you. What do you do with your digital library? Okay, just to confirm, this is what um, this is what V is asking. That for an ebook, should you Keep it on that Ken- your Kindle, your Kobo, your e-reader, or should you delete it? Yes. Or should you try to return it? I don't think you can. Re- maybe you can return it. No, wow. I, th- I think they're just Let's trying to figure this. out. They're just trying to figure out if you dump an ebook or an audiobook and do you delete it? Do you keep it around? Like, how do you? What do you do with it? Got when, it. When you've dumped, got it. it. Got it. Well, listen, the I, you got to value that space on your e-reader. I do. I do feel like you got to value it. But I will say, I have never run out of space. <laughs> I have. <laughs> So many books on there and have never run out of space. But like you, I get a lot of books from the library, so they do return. But from what I've heard, the way e-readers, at least I know Kindles work, is that it actually saves the space for your that book regardless, even if it is returned. So it's like that book is still is using space Weird. on your e-reader even if you returned it. So I think you ha- would have to do like a hard delete from your um like account, I don't know if deleting it just you, like you need to like go online. I don't think you can actually delete it from. I I, be, I could be wrong, but I think if you delete it just from the the um, e reader itself, the space is still like set aside for some reason. Huh. I read about this because I had to do like a hard restart recently, and I I read some stuff about this. Man, we need an e reader expert to like be our person we call when this shit goes down because I don't totally know. So, all that being said, I keep them on there. I keep them on there in case. 
A, I have nothing to read, something that will never happen. But something I worry about all the time. Like, what oh if I have God, nothing yeah. to read? And I'm like, oh, don't worry. I have 40 billion books I've bought that I never finished. <laughs> um, not really, but there's at least 40. Or B, I keep it on there to remind myself I didn't like it. Because that's not a, that is a hot book tip. And I, I've tried to repurchase books because, you know, uh, I, I just forget. I forget and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to try to read this. And then I try to repurchase. And, you know, Amazon, not a great company. But the one thing it will tell you is you'd be like, hey, you already own that. You sure you want to buy that again? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to buy it again. Thank you for letting me know. So you're, you are coming <laughs> out in favor of keeping them on your e-reader. I keep them on my e-reader unless, unless you like are running out of space. But I mean, now you see how cluttered my e-life is. My online life is very much like, oh, I'm out of space. That's when I'll start to choose to delete things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what I do, mostly because it alle- it alleviates that anxiety of what if I run out of things to read? I can always return to this same one. What do you got, Mallory? This is such a true reader issue. This is, I, I love when, when Glassers mm-hmm. write in with like the hard-hitting, deep-cut yes, yes. reader issues. Yes, the v, deep cuts. We understand. Yes. I deeply empathize with you because I love a clean, organized digital library. Like on my Kobo, Ugh, I, I my, my Kobo is exclusively used for library books and for advanced reading. And when I'm done with something, I delete it because I, I I don't want it on there. I, I hmm. and it, it and that but that's the thing is V. It all depends on what your digital library is like. If there's a way to tag them with like DNF, like did not or um, did sure. not finish or something, and hide them, that is what I do. If you want like I do, to have your immediate TBR list without hindrance. Like, that's why I delete all the stuff on the on my Kobo's. I like when I look at the list, I'm like, oh, this is all stuff I have to read. I don't like having to figure out, like, oh, I've already read that. Like, I just want it to be stuff that I know that I, I need to read. I would mark the ones you don't like or don't haven't finished as, as you've already read them, and you can, so you can get them out of the way. So they're, they're not in amongst the other books that you haven't started. Because you never know when you might want to try again. I understand not wanting to delete them, and I think we're both in favor of not deleting them because you just never fucking know. But if you can move them, um, mark them in some way, mark them as read so they're not like in your immediate area, that is what I do, I would do. Like, cause I'm, I'm the kind of person like in my Gmail inbox, I have it set up. So all my unreads are up top and then all the other ones are down below. So I know what, like, I immediately need to pay attention to. That is how I would organize it. I don't know if, and I don't know if V has, um, a, a Kindle or a Kobo or, so I don't know what kind of system they're, they're working with here, but that's, you know what I mean? I, so that, that way, at least it's not like ca- cropping up and like in the way, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. I think it depends on, look, do you want to live your life chaotically like I do, where I'm like, is this book even on this Kindle? And then I have to search. (laughs) I have had to go back to books that, like, even maybe I didn't finish and I, like, need to look up something or something. So I do like having them still. But, um, yeah, I think there are two ways of doing this. Man, Mallory and I keep talking about the reader challenge for next year, and maybe one of the reader challenge items should be to organize your e-reader oh my God. if you have one or organize a shelf you haven't organized or organize a drawer full of book knickknacks you haven't not done. not a bad idea. But like that would be such an undertaking for me to actually organize my e-reader because mine is up there willy-nilly where it's like, here's my newest books are at the top and other than that, there's a whole bunch underneath and God knows what's in there. <laughs> well, so that's, yeah, V, that's what I would chaos. do is I would get it out of your immediate vicinity. Don't leave it. I think we're both coming out of saying don't leave it in its current place because it, it's just going to be sitting there and annoying you. Market is red. And- no, I leave mine. I leave it. I leave oh, it right wow. where it is. And then 
Because the newer books always get pushed to the top anyway. So, like, eventually it falls down to, like, later where it's, like, you aren't even seeing it anymore. So, I guess it depends. The Are you a chaos goblin? Are you a anal retentive <laughs> nightmare creature like me who must have everything obsessively organized at all times or my eyeballs will fall out of my head. It's so weird. I'm very organized about other shit. For some reason, it doesn't bother me. And I think it's because, like V, I get the vast majority of my books from the library. So yeah. they just disappear anyway. Yeah. So, like, so, you know, I the, t- the newest 10 books I have are definitely going to be from the library. So that book I bought, I'm going to forget I bought it at some point because it kind of, like, starts moving down the list and I just don't see it anymore after a while. So I, you... And the way, if it's a Kindle, Kindle's organized in such a way, or the way I have mine organized is I only see the newest stuff. I have to search for everything else. I only see, like, the top, like, 10 or something. I think it's because, for me, my Kobo feels like a to-do list. And when I look at it, I'm like, all right, these are all the books that I need to read. And I I get kind of a little bit of satisfaction when my Kobo is, like, a little empty because I'm like, oh, I've gotten through all these books. I've gotten through all these arcs. I've got through all these Uh. library books. So I like looking at it organized in that way. Like, if it was absolutely filled with stuff... I would lose my mind. So, V, it all depends on what... Um, oh, interesting. And for me, there's, like, there, there's safety in having all of the mm-hmm. things on there. Like, I'm like, I want there to be as many things on there as possible so I never have to worry. So, yeah, V, it all depends on what kind of person you are. And For me, I mm-hmm. would I would mark it as red and hide it in some way. And if you're a Bria, you can just do whatever you want <laughs> and not worry about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you don't have to worry about returning it or deleting it. I think we're both saying you should absolutely keep it. Um, but just put it in in your library as you see fit, whatever makes you less stressed and more happy organization-wise. Agreed. <laughs> if you want us to solve your reader problem, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank the wonderful mods who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. And remember, you can look hot and support us, help us. Bria just got a new cat. She needs to buy twice as much cat food now. We we need that we need that support. Um, buy you can buy stuff at our Void March store. There are bags and shirts and stickers and pillows and journals and all kinds of really cool shit that will help Bria feed her brand new adorable cat and help me feed my not brand new but also adorable cats. Uh, there's a link in the show notes for that. And if you like the show and want to do something for us for free, you can rate and review us on the podcast listening app of your choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts or. Pod, I don't know what the other ones are. I use Apple Podcasts, so I never know what the other ones are, but there are other ones. Um, it's Spotify. Spotify exists. I don't Some think you can rate on that Spotify, one. though. Um, but there's like a pod, pod catcher, no pod chaser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pod grabber, pod, I don't know. Who knows? Pod, all, all the different synonyms. Stabber. <laughs> pod stabber. No, don't like, don't like that one. Get on the pod stabber. Maybe it's for only horror podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, yes. you can get get on there and get on your. You have to do it via in the mobile app. Um, but it really makes a difference for us in both our listenership and our sponsors. So we really appreciate that. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast. On Instagram at readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for thanks reading. For reading.